Good morning, Summit Crossing family. I just want you to know where, uh, as you do know, we're in week three of just a different environment. We're here in the lobby um, of the building, which is not the church. We're the church, um, but it's still just the same a strange situation. Um, we're looking forward to gathering again together physically as soon as we can. But we're going to redeem the time as much as possible um, through Sundays at 11, uh, through Wednesday nights at 6.30. Or we're meeting in Zoom video calls with our missional community groups as much together uh, as we can. Uh, I even know of one story of a DNA that met, I think, in the parking lot of the Sportsplex up off 31, and they would back their cars together, and they had, I think they had SUVs, and they would raise the trunks, sit in them a good distance apart, and just kind of talk and have gospel conversations. Um, I, I love that. I love that creativity. Here's my prayer, that as the novelty wears off in a few weeks, the necessity will keep us and drive us forward to keep meeting together in as many ways as we can. And so we're going to think long-term about that. As you know, the governor's uh, press conference this week kind of gave us an indication that this is going to be a protracted and extended time. And so we're thinking ahead, not just for a few weeks, but maybe even longer than that. And so um, I thank you for being patient as we continue to figure out new ways uh, to gather as God's church. Um, we, as, as a local body here at Summit, we're kind of made for this and set up with missional community groups. Um, you don't have to have a constant presence online, like in me, telling you what to do or what to think. This is a time for you to grow, to go deeper, to dive deep. Um, we're not a personality-based church. We, we're not even really top-down leadership. We, we have elders that oversee and shepherd. And so that doesn't mean you're always needing a pastor to tell you how to, how to live. This is a time for you to, to push into God's Word, to meditate like you never have before, and to reach out to your neighbors and share with them the love of Jesus. Now, we're going to resource you and we're going to equip you. That's our job as leaders. But I don't want to overwhelm you either. And so I don't feel like we need to do something every day or we need to, to, to be like other churches. We're going to do what God has called us specifically to do and then realize that there is grace for all of us. Here's my point, because today is going to be a little bit different message than I was even anticipating, even Tuesday. Uh, the scripture verse has changed several times. It's going to be a little bit more sobering today. I want it to be a, a message that prepares us as God's people. It prepares us for the worst while we pray for the best. Um, planning is not worrying, um, but when you know a storm is coming, you prepare. And so that's what we want to do. Um, part of this planning, I do want to remind us, is generosity. And generosity as witness, um, if you are able to give financially, um, specifically right now, please do. Um, there's some of us that are, we're just going to, we're going to need that. If you have more, I would just urge you to push against the human tendency right now to act out of fear and anxiety, to stock up, to save up, and to stay quiet. I would ask that you would just click the online giving. Um, if you can give more generously now than ever before, would you do that? Because our future needs are going to go up dramatically. And because we're not passing an offering plate, we're not taking necessarily checks very much, our giving is going to go down. And so we need to be proactive and take initiative and really start giving where we can because there are going to be people without jobs. We're, there are going to be people that need extra support. And we're trying to figure out what are the best ways to vet that and, and to be good stewards of what God has given us. And if I can be just really honest for a second, even before this hit, um, our, our budget, we weren't quite meeting budget. And so I'm just going to appeal to you, hey, here are our needs. And so God's people, here's your opportunity. Let's give. Let's see, um, let's see what he's doing in and among us. 
Now, during a, a crisis, we all tend to reorder our priorities. And so we want to do that as good stewards of what God has given us. So, like I said, when I was preparing this week, um, the text changed several times. Um, and what the Lord has laid on my heart for us today is to prepare. Prepare for the future, um, to give us an offensive weapon to push back the darkness, to slay the despair and the fear and anxiety that threatens to swallow us in the future. We must be proactive in this, and we cannot be reactive in this. You'll need to be ready for battle. And so what I hope today is that what you're realizing is that the honeymoon phase of quarantine is going to be over soon, and yet we'll still be under the similar, similar restrictions. So with that said, get your Bibles out and turn to trusty, the trusty book of Habakkuk. It's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Um, we actually have been through it in the past. So go on and turn there too. Go to your table of contents if you need to find it, um, because you can't pause this, at least right now. Uh, here are two points for today, if you're taking notes. Number one, rest. Number two, lament. All right, we, we want to learn about those two things today. All right, number one is rest. So we are surrounded right now uh, by progressively extreme beauty and brokenness. We have both of those that are, that are staring us in the face. There's rampant disease that is engulfing the earth and taking uh, lives of thousands. The economy is leaning toward putting scores of people out of work and thus leaving them unable to provide for their families. And yet simultaneously, we're being forced to rest as families something we are not very good at here in the States. There's actually time for walking in the evening with your family, which is a whole new thing for my family. It's like sitting in a rocking chair on the back porch with my grandma and just kind of talking about stuff. That was so long ago. It's so simple and yet, nobody in my family is arguing about it when we do it. And I'm wondering if we maybe, we haven't been so much exposed to the virus as we have been exposed by the virus. The fierce beauty is that the idols that we as a people tend to worship most have suddenly been removed. Sports, whether that's professional, college, or our kids playing baseball or soccer or, or dance or piano, all, all these things have been just removed. Travel, busyness, various forms of entertainment, they're gone for now. And some of us don't know what to do because we were dependent on them to tell us who we are and what we are to do. Now, I'm not prophetic at all, I promise. But more than once, I've thought of the verse at the end of 2 Chronicles. When Jerusalem is being burned to the ground and Israel is being conquered and, and swallowed by our enemies, it's the Babylonians, and it's probably the most bleak time in the people of God's history and there's this interesting statement about rest at the end of 2 Chronicles, in verse, well, chapter 36, verse 19. I'm going to read that real quickly. And they burned the house of God and broke down, all, uh, broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. And he took into exile, uh, he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his servants until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, and here's the this, this statement, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. It was a, it's a forced Sabbath. 
It made me think. Israel has ignored for generations the command of God to rest, to stop, to cease, to Sabbath. That was the first, it was number four on the Ten Commandments. And they didn't do that. They didn't rest. They didn't let their land rest and lay fallow, which is to say they regularly did not trust God or obey God, and they wanted to store up more for themselves. And it made me pause and think about our imposed, our current forced rest. I never would have thought that that was a thing. We've taken a semester off of sports before because our family was just, it was too much with four children. But for everything to be canceled? Really? Suddenly, we've assigned less importance to organized activities and families themselves are back in the spotlight. Do we know what to do? We've been given a time to rest and prepare, to press deep into the things of God and to our relationship with Jesus, individually and corporately. This is an invitation to dive into what really matters, what is of eternal value. And I hope that we do that together. John Piper wrote something that, that uh, many years ago that really I, I will never forget. Um, he wrote when he learned that he had cancer. It was a little po- uh, pamphlet or a little document called Don't Waste Your Cancer. It was prolific to me. He got cancer, which is a, a devastating re- revelation in and of itself. And instead of it undoing him and him falling into despair, it led him to glorifying God in the time that he thought that he had left. Even more than before, he enjoyed God and obeyed God more than any other point in his life. You could hear it come out in how he wrote and, and how he said, don't waste your cancer, which is where we got the book, don't waste your life. And so may we also not waste this diamond among coal that the moment God is giving us. Let us rest in Jesus and do that as an offensive weapon against fear and anxiety and uncertainty. This is not going to be easy. I mean, even as a pastor, I, I'm on constant uh, pastoral calls on Zoom and finding out what pastors are doing in other places. And, and there are some pastors that are on, online every day doing Bible studies or prayer times. And I'm like, but that's not really who we are. You're not here to follow me. I'm here to push you to Jesus. And that's just where we fall with the, the way our church has been set up in the DNA. I want you guys through your MC leaders and, and going deep on your own and leading your families. And we're here to resource that and equip that, not just to do that. And so help be, be gracious with us as we walk this line to teach us how to rest. But, but I still I feel that anxiety and that constant fighting like I'm not doing enough or I, I, uh, the shame of I'm not enough like this guy over here or this pe- these people or this church over here. And so what I need to remember is that Jesus is building his church. Jesus is doing it, and he's doing it in different ways in different churches. Jesus is taking care of us. And like last week in Psalm 121, he keeps us. Let's learn to rest, even in times that are full of anxiety. And we can only do that by his power and realizing that he keeps us. Number two, lament. Let's turn to Habakkuk 1. I told you about Habakkuk. I gave you, I think that was enough time for you to get there. All right, we went through this book together a number of years back, and it is a powerhouse of good news in uncertain and dark times. Habakkuk is a confused prophet who complains out loud to God. We get to hear in, we get to listen in on that conversation, and then God answers him, and we hear what God says to him. So the book opens with this complaint, and this is where I am. Let's let's read this together. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 2 says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? 
or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. That's, that's what we see. So if you're taking notes, here's the most basic structure for what a, a lament is, a lamentation. And you've heard me say before that, that the, the Western church is at a poverty for understanding. We don't understand how to lament, right? Here are four, four things. Number one, turn. Number two, complain. Number three, ask. Number four, trust. Uh, well, you see most, uh, most of the Psalms are called laments, if you categorize them. And this is the formula that they, they fall into. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. So I want you to see how that works here in Habakkuk. First, turn. And like last week, you turn from circumstances, turn from worldly answers, and you look to God. Last week, we, we took, uh, the psalmist took his eyes from the hills to God himself, from focusing on danger uh, from the storm in front of them, and he put his eyes on God himself. And he does this in verse 2. And then quickly, in verse 3, he pivots to where we find this, this first complaint. He says, basically, why are you silent? Don't you see what's going on? Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything? Do you see that everything that we're being swallowed up, that your righteous people are surrounded by unrighteousness, and we're going down, and you're just standing idly by and looking? doing nothing. That's what he says. Basically, like Jesus' disciples in the storm. Don't you even care that there's a storm going on? This is full of tears. It's full of grief. And it's probably laced with fear. I read recently in a book, To Cry as Human, to Lament is distinctly Christian. It's what separates us from the world. All humans cry. Christians lament. They grieve. And to lament is to believe in a sovereign God. It means that that is where you turn your hope. You know that He can and will do something, that He is faithful to His name. And so that is, so, so, so what do we do with our grief and with our pain and with our sorrow and our fear and our, and our anxiety? Do we bottle it up? Do we pretend that it's okay? Do we go into denial? Do we lash out in anger? That won't work. It may be a short-term, a temporary fix, but it is not the model that the Bible gives us to deal with anger, to deal with life, to deal with hurt, to deal with grief and sorrow and anxiety and fear. It's not what we see. Habakkuk learns that God is using the Babylonians to judge Israel. God is using a ruthless people to discipline and purify his people. This is not what Habakkuk had in mind when he's praying for justice. That's why God says in chapter 1, verse 5, if you keep, go down just a little bit here, God's answer is this. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would need not believe if told. He's saying, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe what I'm doing. See, we don't always know what God is doing. We don't understand the motive behind it. Even if he told us, we wouldn't believe it. Who knows what's going to come out of this coronavirus pandemic? 
I mean, we might even respond like Habakkuk does in chapter 2, verse 13, where he says this to God. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, he's recognizing his holiness, and, and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors? Why do you remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? This is his second complaint. Why aren't you doing anything, God? And, and, and when, you are, when you say that you're going to do something, what? You're going to do it like this? I mean, yes, your people aren't obeying you, but surely you can't use an ungodly people to judge a godly people. Habakkuk doesn't agree with how God's running the world. He may even think he could do a better job. Have you ever thought that? But we don't end our prayers with our complaints, not as Christians. That's just where we're honest. This is where we hurt out loud. We say it, and we sometimes scream it up, and we say, this is injustice, this is the brokenness in the world. And we recognize that. And we tell God what's, what's really on our hearts, and we're honest. But that's not the end. Then he asks, and at the end of both complaints, he's just asking, is this social devastation going to continue? What's going to come of it? How many people are going to be out of work? How many families are going to be affected? How many people are going to get sick? Will our uncertainty and our fear continue forever? When are you going to step in? Are you sure this is the best answer? And so he asks boldly. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, here's what he says. I will take my stand at my watch post. He's just, I'm going to wait. And so Habakkuk, he asks after he complains. And in, in verse 2 of chapter 2 says, And the Lord answered me. God in His grace answers us, even though He doesn't have to. Sometimes it's on our timeline. Most of the time it's not. In verse 3 says, If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God will accomplish all His will. He is sovereign. He's not in heaven wringing His hands and worried about a virus. He didn't, it's not something, oh, I, I didn't expect that, and now the church is on fragile footing. No, we don't believe that for a second. I assure you, just like in Habakkuk's time, in a time of economic and social devastation, that God is just as in control and capable of running the universe right now as he was then. He says in verse 4, the, the just shall live by faith. He says in verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's totality. Again in verse 20 he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before him. This is kind of like a response in the book of Job. Like where were you when I made the heavens and the earth, Job? This is bigger than you know, Habakkuk, and so am I. Don't forget who I am and what I've done. And so we trust. We turn, we complain, we ask, and then we trust and we, we wait. Trusting God and His purposes even when it doesn't seem to make sense to us. Because we see after God answers Habakkuk in chapter 2, we see a different Habakkuk emerge. One that has dropped his complaining, one he's dropped his better ideas, he's dropped his sense of his true and better justice than God has. 
He responds in surrender by recalling the mighty acts of God in the past and, and is reminded of what God can and has done and what He will do and that He is faithful to His name. And in verse 16, we find this healthy tension that prepares us for our coming days at Summit Crossing in Limestone County. He says this in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. There's this tension of this unsettled, this uncertainty, unsettled feeling, and waiting and trusting in God. This is real life. This is where rubber meets the road. This is where you walk out your faith. This is what living in the shadow of the Almighty feels like and looks like. Let's finish out his life-changing response in verse 17. He says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Listen to that beautiful submission of trusting God with His life no matter what comes. No matter. Habakkuk has met God and beheld Him in His sanctuary, in His temple. He's different and he trusts Him regardless. And he knows that He is sovereign and in control. And even though the circumstances are still severe, the circumstances have not changed at all. And it's still a dreadful time for Habakkuk to live in. Yet, look at his worship. He's worshiping while he's waiting on Jesus, on God. And this is the faith we need. This is what you need to be prepared for. This is the faith that we can have. This is available to us. This is what I want us to be prepared for. To use the offensive weapons of rest and lament as a bridge from dire circumstances and pain and fear and anxiety and uncertainty and sorrow to praise and to worship and to joy and to seeing God's splendor and majesty and glory. <laughs> there will be trouble in your life. Jesus promises that. There will be devastation, whether it's individually or whether it's corporately or socially. But the heart of Habakkuk here displays the resolution of one whose eyes now have been opened where they should have been opened to begin with. He will now, because of his suffering and trials, delight and worship in God more deeply than he ever has before. And that's our prayer for you. Quick example, and then we're going to pray. I had uh, I was recently blessed, just an amazing blessing to spend time with a friend uh, who was walking with someone through death of a, a close friend just recently. And I said, hey, let's lament together. This is what the Bible tells us to do. Let's do that. And so we were just walking outside. 
And so we just started, I said, why don't you just start praying and just let's just run through um, the turning and the complaining and the asking. So let's turn to God now. Let's take our eyes off of what's around us, the hills and the pain and the sorrow and the brokenness that sin has brought in this world. Let's turn to God and let's just do what the Bible says. Let's complain about sin and brokenness in the world. And so he just prays out loud. And what a blessing to be able to listen and talk about how, God, here's what we hate about sin. And here's what it's done. And it's wrecked. And death has come. And, and it's is, is just terrible. It's wrecking families. And it's tearing people apart. And it's before its time. And it's not the way that you designed the, the, our lives to be. And then I complained. And then I, we just kind of sat in sadness for a moment. But then we, we move from there to asking God, would you make this right? Would you come? Would you make it uh, your, your will on earth as it is in heaven? Would you be with these that are they're dealing with death now that they came too early and, and that there was a wife that is alone and there are children that, that, that don't have a daddy and, and we don't know how to take care of that and it's just wrong. Would you step in? Would you make it right? Would you comfort? And then we moved into trusting and knowing that God is faithful and knowing that He is going to act because He's acted in the past and knowing that He acted because Jesus, His Son, walked through the valley of the shadow of death and was separated from Him because so that we would never be separated from Him. And from that, we take comfort and we move forward and we trust that He keeps us. This is how we engage in a world of suffering and brokenness. We engage in it with hope that is eternal and that breaks in from the future to the present and will, will fill us with power because of the resurrection that Christians have a hope that nobody else has access to. This is the hope that you pray for and with and that will strengthen us in the days to come. Now, we're going to turn and we're going to pray. There are going to be some directives that are going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read one and then we're going to pause for a few seconds and you just take time as a family or if you're by yourself or you're with a couple of friends and you're kind of spread out a little bit then let's pray together here's the first one number one let's remember our global missionaries um, we can be so insular and come around ourselves that we forget that it is very difficult to socially distance in poverty-stricken areas especially when they're communal in nature um, and so we want to pray for uh, all, the, all the traveling is canceled. All, all mission trips are suspended and, and support may start dwindling for missionaries that live abroad. There are many countries right now that are on lockdown that we have relationships with missionaries there. Whether it be Nepal or India, Southeast Asia, and Latin America, uh, Eastern Europe. And so let's just pray for them right now that God would be there all in all and He would continue to supply and provide. Secondly, 
Let's pray that God would teach us to rest and to lament with honest hearts that long to, to see Jesus formed in us, not just individually, but corporately as his body here locally. And finally, let's pray for wisdom, discernment, and an attitude of initiation on, on how and when to wisely serve our neighbors for the sake of the gospel. It's, it's hard when you don't know, oh, these kids are coming to our house for the first time, or I don't want to just kick them out and, and follow government and socially distance for the, the sake of others. But at the same time, uh, you know, I want to bring them in and show them the love of Christ. How do we do that wisely? How do we prioritize? Okay, let's not do that now, but let's do that tomorrow and let's do it in this way or help my neighbor here. Let's pray. And so just spend uh, a few seconds just praying for that. And then at the end, I'm going to close this in prayer.